Well, hold on, I just need to get my yawn out of the way first. Is it done? It's done, by the way. Yeah, it's done. Great. Did my yawn not, sig- did it not signal to you how <laughs> up for this <laughs> that I am? You need to grab a beer. I don't have any beers. Okay. I'm afraid. Oh, red stripe. That's interesting. Got a little red stripe stubby. Yeah. They're cool. I like red stripe. You can yeah. get them from the corner shop and that's about it. I don't yeah. see them anywhere else. No, it's good. Big yeah. fan of red I would, stripe. I like red stripe. This episode brought to you by red stripe. <laughs> I wish it was. Yeah, so do I. Can we have some sponsorship? Maybe sponsor That'd be nice. Hang on. Wait, I'll do um, it. Label facing out. And yes, then, that's, in, that's yeah. important on a, a, an audio medium. So it's the product placement. Absolutely. Although this one is flat. So if there is anyone Why at Red listening, I don't know, but it's definitely flat. There are How no bubbles been open whatsoever. For? Not very, I just opened it. <laughs> All right, go on, do the intro. There was, there was, well, before I do, there was a bit of lag on this, on the camera there. So it literally made it look like the bottle disappeared. <laughs> and was... for my next trick. <laughs> cool. So I think strong and wrong is how we do it this week, Lawrence. Strong and wrong. Strong and wrong. I don't even know what that means. Nobody I knows don't. what it means, but it's provocative. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what it means. Oh, okay, let me have a drink first. Oh, of beer? No, of water. It's been a... Did you see that thing um, in the news the other day that, like, we're allowed, like, a hundred something in our water? And in the EU, they're only allowed 10 something in our water. And the scientists are like, there shouldn't really be, the idea should be the least amount as possible. There is no safe amount of this stuff to have in your water. And we're just sitting here like, well, we'll have a hundred of it. We've even ruined water. Nobody drinks water because they like it. They drink it because they think it's healthy and (laughs) even that's killing you. Well, have you seen that movie, um, Dark? Water, no, Dark Water, the Mark Ruffalo one. I think it's called Dark Waters. No, not Hulk. And it's literally, it's about that. It's about all this shit that they put in water. I wouldn't want to watch a film about that. I don't know why you'd make a film about it. It's it's happening in real life. I don't know why you'd then want to make a movie about it. It's true. And it makes you just want to bin everything in your house because this stuff is on everything. It's on like pans, it's on packaging, it's on all of it. And Well, to be fair, if it's on everything, then I I feel like it's very difficult for us to actually get rid of it. So we should probably just get on with it. But no, we created it. That's the issue. Oh, okay. (laughs) It it wasn't there before. It's just it's now (laughs) on everything. Yeah, Dark Waters, it's called. I see. It's a very good movie. It's depressing. Is it a documentary or is it a film? No, no, it's a film. It's like it's Mark Ruffalo playing Mark Ruffalo. In I like thought maybe it. he'd do it. Maybe he they bought his credibility and he was like the front man of the documentary. But <laughs> the US government have no credibility. So they're borrowing <laughs> some of mine. <laughs> oh, The Simpsons. That's such a it's a good movie and it's such a good TV show up to a certain season. And it's oh, just shit. But... Shots fired. Let's get Matt Groening <laughs> on for a re- rebuttal. He would know. He'd be like, you know what, it's true. I'm sure they said they wanted to stop making The Simpsons, but they can't. It's too big to stop now, isn't it? Mm. That was a lovely sound of you glugging the water down the mic. That was delightful. I had to to glug my whatever it is that's bad for you in water. All your microplastics. Yeah. Yeah. Better than drinking big plastic, though, isn't it? 
Well, if you're going to drink is, plastic, I think, I think that's the problem. Yeah, if I you're going to if you're going to drink plastic, then you might as well drink little bits of plastic rather than big bits of plastic. Well, I suppose it's easier to go down. Yeah, exactly. So you know, it's all about perspective, isn't it? <laughs> that's what we need. Perspective on yeah, perspective. That's the problem with the world. It's lost all perspective. Anyway, <laughs> I feel we need to start now, or we'll never start. Good, very professional. You can feel the chemistry already. <laughs> I was simply pissed by the time the game kicked off. We're really gonna have to cut this. <laughs> We're definitely gonna have to cut this. But I feel we should get off this subject now, making me annoyed. I bet he's in your fantasy team. There goes our hopes of this being a family-friendly podcast. <laughs> We have no idea what we're doing. Yeah. Obviously, I don't want this call to do well. And someone who, you know, obviously hopes that it doesn't go well at United. Hello and welcome to the Lawrence and Ed Football Podcast. I am the best host, Lawrence, and my sidekick host, Ed, is about to introduce himself and say hello. Ed. Hello. I don't know what we're going to talk about this week. The FA Cup. The FA Cup happened, didn't it? The FA Cup did happen. Was it a penalty, Ed? Should Forrest have had a penalty? The answer's no. But... Yeah, yeah, no. There is no talking point here at all. Alisson no. does that pretty much every week where he comes out and he actually... I think it's like a new thing that goalkeepers are doing where they go out and look as if they're going to foul the striker and almost trick the striker into diving and pull their I would suggest away. that that's a very risky tactic because I feel like had the... The, the Forest player not dragged his foot and instead just ran into the goalkeeper normally, he would have got a penalty. But he sort of, for some reason, started like dragging his foot behind him for some reason and sort of semi-falling over before he actually hit the goalkeeper, that it was sort of a bit, just yeah, looked really false. Yeah, but wasn't given in real time anyway. So it's not like... No, no, I know, but I think it would have been on VAR had he just run into the goalkeeper like a normal human being yeah possibly it wasn't a penalty it wasn't wasn't a penalty penalty. and I thought Forrest played very well actually I watched about 15 minutes of this game and I think I managed to see because I've noticed on the last few podcasts you've gone I haven't watched any football this week (laughs) what was I doing on when was it on Sunday yeah I was watching something on Sunday I was watching the cricket that's what I was watching and they went to tea so I then turned the Forest game on and I managed to see that bloke miss the open goal pretty much for Forest from the cross. I yeah. then managed to see the goal and the dive and then I switched it off because the cricket was back on. So I feel like I saw all the bits I needed to see of this game. Yeah, so, you know, I would call that very efficient. I didn't waste the rest of my afternoon <laughs> watching, watching those bits of the game that didn't matter. Watching Liverpool win. Oh. They did win. I feel like Liverpool have, most of the time I watch Liverpool this year, they seem to have the ability to sort of generally play at the level of the team they're playing and then just be more clinical. Because a lot of the time when I watch Liverpool, I sort of think their defence looks a bit suspect this year, but they win a huge amount of games. It's very weird. I'm not saying they're rubbish or anything, but I just feel like they're not. I feel they've played better before. They've just sort of turned very efficient this season. Well, I think the the new rule where, I mean, it's not that new, but where the linesman doesn't have to put his flag up until it's a goal or until like the passage of play is over, I think is actually quite 
um, it's a bit of a false kind of gauge as to what the flow of the game really is because you can watch Liverpool and feel like the opposition have had loads of chances, but they've all been offside. So they're not really chances. And I think that pundits get carried away with that quite a lot because they'll be like, oh, it feels like Forest have battered Liverpool or it feels like Ars- like the Arsenal game was a really good example of that. Oh, Martinelli's had Trent Alexander-Arnold on toast all game. It's like, well, he hasn't though because they, they didn't have a shot on target. <laughs> like there's no, that it's, it's really not. So I understand what you're saying because particularly when we're away from home, it does get the home fans up and it makes you feel like they've been on top. But they haven't really because it, the, all the chances have been offside and and the chances that have mattered have fallen Liverpool's way. So I get what you're saying, but I would like to respectfully disagree with you, Lawrence. <laughs> yeah, I do hate that rule. It's not even a rule. It's just like just confusion amongst officials where they just like, even when someone's 10 yards offside, they're just like, well, I'm going to leave a flag down for a moment just so that VAR can check just in case. It's like, if you can't get that decision right when someone's clearly offside, then you're probably in the wrong job. Yeah. Like, go and get a better a job that you're more suited to. <laughs> and there's no consistency either. There'll be certain times where it's close and the linesman rightly, according to the rules, will keep his flag down. And then other times where he'll put the flag up and you'll be like, oh, that looked tight. And it's like a millimetre offside. It's like, well, he definitely didn't see that. He's just guessed, doesn't he? <laughs> so, like, it, it's... I, I know think, what you mean, yeah. I think that's the thing that gets me the most, is that, like, if it was one or the other, I'd get used to it. But it's the fact that, depending on who, what idiot you've got holding the flag, it, it oh, spe- Speaking of idiots, have you seen the big news this week? Big news what, story? What big, what big news? Mike Dean is retiring from refereeing at the end of the season. Oh, is he? I yes. honestly could not. I know that the whole rule of podcasting and like, yes, and um, we're supposed to be like bouncing off each other. I'm sorry to shoot this down. I could not give less of a fuck about Mike could Dean not. retiring. I'm, I'm very happy about it because he's a terrible, terrible referee who but thinks he's are. like, yeah, but he's got the ego of like yeah, Cristiano yeah, Ronaldo and he's a, balding shit referee but at least you know you probably will balding? see him on the that TV was generous screen. he's he's not balding he's already bald he's got, he's got you no will, hair you'll left. still i suspect you'll still see a lot of him though ed because he'll obviously be in the cop every weekend now oh yeah he? yeah well he'll probably run into martin tyler on the way to the stretford end won't he on the train <laughs> i like the fact that you would equate those two <laughs> martin tyler's not on the pitch <laughs> it feels like he fucking is every time i switch my tv on he's there oh you'll be sad when he's gone i really won't you will i really really will like not Joe miss Cole. i've i've had enough you know, again arsenal game both of liverpool's goals you would have thought that in fact Rewatch it, okay? Because the second goal, especially, he just doesn't say anything to the point where Gary Neville has to take over like lead commentary, and he's almost like Martin. There's there's, there's been a goal. Like, well, I'm going to have to, to you shock doing? you here uh, and tell you that I can't rewatch it because I didn't watch it first time round. Oh, oh, so. yeah. Because sorry, Lawrence. Lawrence loves cricket now, so we'll. Uh... No, there was something else. I, I'm sure I was doing something. What day was that on? Are you going to start your? Are you going to like ditch this podcast and go to like? Lawrence's bats and balls with. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, actually, that's not a bad that's not a bad idea for a podcast because quite a lot of sports sort of have bats and balls, so it wouldn't have to be it wouldn't have to be limited to just one. 
Yeah, just It'd all be cricket, bats and balls, rounders. Sports. Baseball. I would stretch to tennis because it's essentially a bat. They just have a funny name for the bat. It's like, oh, it's a racket. It's a bat. It's a fucking bat. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. But then by that logic, like lacrosse would technically be a bat. Yeah, but nobody wants to listen to a podcast about lacrosse, do they? Oh, yeah. But they're who even, who, who even up for who baseball. Even, who even plays lacrosse, Ed? What even is lacrosse? Like, I've heard of it. I don't really know what it is. Well, you can find out on your Bats and Balls podcast. I can. I'll get the most famous lacrosse player on to... Do, do men play lacrosse? Or is it more of a yeah. women's sport? Like, yeah, I think it's quite big in America among men. I think in this well, country... Well, we have got American listeners, so if they'd like to get in touch and tell us what the fuck lacrosse is, then <laughs> they're probably sat here thinking, what the fuck is cricket? I didn't actually know Mike Dean was retiring, but um, is he going back to the chicken factory? <laughs> Wasn't suspect. that what he did before? Wasn't that him? I, for some reason, I thought you were making some weird reference to chicken run. I don't know why. It was the only thing that I could think of that might be. Does he look like the like evil old woman from Chicken Run? Is that? <laughs> I don't think so. I guess he could look a little bit like Mr. Tweedy, but I don't, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Christ, this is going to be strapping, listeners. Well, there's just been no football on, has there? No, no, there hasn't really. But the Champions League draw happened. And yeah. honestly, if I could have picked a route, that is probably the route I would have taken. I think Benfica was definitely the easiest tie out of all of them, um, particularly the home leg being second. Um, and then facing either Bayern Munich or Villarreal in the semis. So you Bayern know, Munich then? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Probably Bayern Munich. But there's still that slither of hope that we might get uh, Unai Emery and... Uh, good evening. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was underrated as an Arsenal manager. I actually thought Arsenal were quite comical when he was there. I enjoyed his interviews. Mikel Arteta's just like, oh. He's very boring, isn't he? Well, it's just like, because the, they genuinely believe, like, they have improved. I know we've, we've, we have criticised Arsenal a lot on this podcast this season. They have improved, but I think the trouble is for them is the level that they have to get to. It's like, it's almost like, what's the point? Like, they're not, they're not going to, they're nowhere near, and this is going to sound quite depressing, but the level that Manchester City and Liverpool are at, no one's catching them. Chelsea, you know, you thought this season might throw you under the bus there. Um, but, like, they're not. Arsenal, what's what's going to happen next year? Okay, they'll finish fourth. They'll be in the Champions League for one season. They stand no chance of winning it. Next season, United are going to improve. Spurs are going to improve. Chelsea are going to improve. So, they won't finish in the top four again. So, what? Like it's literally, like, I, I know that Arsenal fans are excited about this project. I just can't see it being like a long-term thing. Sorry. I, I would like to stick to my guns and say that Arsenal are still shit. Like they're very good at skanking fairly undeserved wins against the really rubbish teams. And that's what's going to get them into fourth place in a season where 18 of the 20 teams have been horrendously shit. <laughs> um, I don't think that's the basis for long-term success. And they will finish fourth this year, and they will probably deserve to finish fourth on account that they have at least been able to consistently skank results against shit teams. 
but I don't really see that being a long term. But that's what I mean by plan for success. So, but I don't even think it's. I'm not even sure they're that good. I think they're just they've been fairly lucky a lot of this season. I don't. I think one or two of their young players are decent, but I don't really. They're like kind of going on as if there's a core of amazingly exciting young players. It's it's like it's not. They've got Saka. well, I think Martinelli's a good player and I think Odegaard has his moments. But yeah, I mean... I, I, I would don't... suggest that they're all Arsenal players. What? <laughs> they're typical Arsenal players. Like what, they might look flat good track for three... Yeah. To use a They've not term. Yeah, not... <laughs> put that in your bats and balls. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was very good. Nice, nice cricket cliche there. But, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to stick to my guns here and say that Arsenal are shit. They will remain shit, and Arteta is a shit, and he's not. <laughs> he's going through a good spell at the moment, but I don't personally see any long-term success for us. No, I, I don't see long-term success in in the sense that, like, winning league titles or or winning. They might win an FA Cup now and again, but they've definitely improved this season. And I think there's there's a lot to be said for how shit United have been and how shit Spurs have been. But Arsenal, they're, they're beating the shit teams, I agree. But before, they weren't even doing that. So it's definitely, there has definitely been progress under Arteta, but I just don't think that he's the man to take them to any sort of former glory or whatever. To bring it back full circle, Liverpool... Man United, City, Chelsea, when they have a shit season or a shit couple of seasons, they're falling from winning league titles to third, fourth, fifth, sixth, wherever it is. But the aim is always to get back to winning league titles. Arsenal were bragging about finishing fourth for 10 years. They're coming from fourth being, oh, we're back. They're not back. They're nowhere near winning the league. And if, for anyway, if, if Man United finished fourth this season, you'd take that in the context of the season. But if I'd have said that to you at the start of the season, you'd have been like, we're better than that. Yeah. So I, I just, I, I think the whole culture around Arsenal need, needs to change. Comparing apples and pears, I think. It's yeah. Sort of, or apples and oranges. What's the saying? I think it's apples, apples, and, oranges. apples and oranges. Yeah. 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 Well, apple, apples and pears are stairs, isn't it? That's, that's where that comes from. That's Cockney yep. rhyming slang for our American listeners. And our, where was the other ones from? The Caribbean? Barbados? Yep. Is that why you're drinking Red Barbados. Stripe? Barbados is, um, Red Stripe is actually from Jamaica. Yeah, I know it is, but, you know, I was thinking of you trying to get us in, in the Caribbean somewhere, sort of. Yeah. Boostar. We're actually available for live shows in the Caribbean <laughs> if anyone there wants to fly Pay us for over. Expenses. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That would be good. It feels a bit shit with the international break, doesn't it? I don't understand. Like, just as the season gets interesting, particularly this year where we've got a title race now, all the cup competitions are getting to the latter stages, and we have to watch England play. Switzerland and Ivory Coast like no no it's, one no it's one kind cares. of like when you're watching something on TV or like a film on film four and you kind of get three quarters of the way through the film and you're just getting into it and then there's an advert break yeah and you're like can I be asked to keep watching this or not 
that's sort of the the March international break. You sort of forget about the adverts, and then bam, they hit you with one just as you're sort of starting. It's just really getting into it. I don't. Even, I guess it's because somebody needs to do some qualifying for the World Cup or something, which is kind of fair enough. But at the same time, it's sort of it is just such a pain. It's like, can't we just keep the Premier League going? <laughs> yeah. What I don't understand is that these friendlies. We beat every time we play Switzerland, we beat them and we play them a lot. So, what is anyone really learning from that? Ivory Coast, it's like, okay, but historically, we do quite well against African teams. I know that we drew to Ghana, but that was a friendly. But, like in tournaments, we do okay. The teams that we should be playing more often are the South American teams that aren't Brazil and Argentina because they're the ones that we struggle against, like Colombia, Peru, people like that is, is who we should who we should practice playing because they're like the Atletico Madrid of international teams, aren't they? That they, they, they just, you know, horrendous. If football. I was, if I was England manager, I think I would have arranged these friendlies against Jamaica and Trinidad and Tobago. Didn't Dwight York play for them? Yes. Well, that's where he's from. So that seems fair enough from, from both parties. No, I was just saying. Like, what, we played Dwight... them, didn't we? We played them in the 2006 World Cup. We did. We beat them just we about. Were, just about. We were dreadful when I think David Beckham might have scored. Oh, love you, David Beckham. <laughs> Did you see he's, he's um, trying to backtrack on his um, the bad will he's got from endorsing Qatar by trying to jump on the Ukraine hype train? <laughs> Do you know what? Actually, speaking of Qatar, um, I actually really rated what Louis van Gaal came out and said. You just said a load of bollocks, essentially. Yeah, he said it. He said it. Have you not seen it? I think I saw a bit about it. Him essentially saying that it's nonsense he, and about the the money or something, didn't he? Yeah, but he said he was in a in a press conference and he was like, "FIFA will tell you that it's in Qatar because they're looking to expand football there, but that's bullshit. It's literally all about <laughs> money." Yeah. It's like, oh, where was that side of him when he was United manager? Because I think that's what genuinely sort of not annoyed, but disappointed people probably, was that there wasn't more. It was all a bit, when he came to United, he seemed to play everything safe. Yeah. Pretty much like on the pitch, off the pitch. It was all very, apart from the end of season awards at the end of his first season where he was obviously smashed. <laughs> that was quite funny. But um, yeah, he just seemed to, I remember like towards the end of his tenure, he like fell over in front of Mike Dean to, to, yeah. against Arsenal and that was like well, that's funny if you did more shit like that then like you probably still you probably have had a lot longer in the job but yeah he was just a bit I don't know boring when he was at United but yeah it was the football was terrible I remember having yeah. to sit and watch it with you in our student house and you getting yeah. very frustrated well we were both both clubs were shit then weren't they that was I remember United won 1-0 at Anfield with a very late Rooney goal after Fellaini hit the bar. It was like yeah. the only time the ball had been in either box. Yeah. They were very the dark games. Time. They were. Was that I the mean, Brendan Rodgers era? Yeah, it was. It was with the, the times. Like, latter end of it, yeah. And we yes. drew each other in the Europa League. Yes, on St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. You, you weren't allowed in the pub. I had to come and get you in. Yeah, that was really weird. I had to use my contacts, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, your cricket contacts in the, the cricketing world. 
Who's going to be the next United manager? Um, Who do you want? I, I just, it sort of sums up the season and the past 10 years that I don't really care because I will just, I will wait to be impressed. So it's sort of, I, <laughs> in the past, I would have liked Pochettino, but I kind of feel like he's almost been, you know how like after Real Madrid, Mourinho was the, obviously just like left part of his soul there and it's sort of like a pale imitation of Mourinho now I kind of feel like that's what Pochettino is going to be like after PSG it's sort of the manager who went in was quite young and well thought of and then he's going to have been worn down and just like had his soul just driven from him from PSG and he's going to come out as a shell of a manager and just be shit. So I don't really want him. You don't really want Pochettino? No, not particularly. I think like Ten Hag is probably the exciting choice, but I've never watched Ajax, I'll be honest. Except that game against Tottenham. I think he was in charge then. But he seems like he's got a lot of the general attributes that you would like in a manager, but whether he's actually going to be any good or not, I don't have a fucking clue. Yeah, I think that's the issue with United is that there's not really a standout choice, is there? There's no, you know, whereas no. when Guardiola was available, he was the obvious choice for City. When Klopp was available, he was the obvious choice for Liverpool. And it kind of feels like there isn't really one for United. And you feel like other than those two managers, United should be able to get any manager in the world. And at the moment, there's a kind of feeling of, well, there isn't really anyone that we want. And that's that's mad because they're United and there are good enough managers out there. I wouldn't... I, I know that it's kind of the media probably blowing it out of proportion, but Tuchel would be a good choice. Yeah. I, I feel like he's a good Chelsea manager. I feel like he's... I think... I don't actually think it should be that hard for United to get the sort of manager they need. I think there's certain things that they should be looking at as being sort of non-negotiable just based on kind of the the characteristics of the club. And that's looking at somebody who's going to play, you know, give young players a chance, who's got a track record of bringing through young players playing not a certain style of football, but sort of a generally attacking brand of football and sort of a risk taker. I think those are things that should be non-negotiable for United because that's just United as a club. And I don't really think Tuchel really... He's a very, very good manager and I'm sure he would have some short-term success as United manager, but he doesn't really tick any of those boxes particularly. So... But that's not, but that's what you've just described isn't really an identity, though. I think that's the issue is that they don't have, there isn't like a, like a set, like I I thought United were gaining some sort of identity of how they play and how they operate under Ollie. It seemed to be that they were going in a certain direction. And then Ralph Ranjik's come in and it's like, well, you know, he's not going to be there very long. So no one really knows. I think, I mean, it's not my club, but. 
I think one of the most important things would be a, a specific style. And whether it is attacking football, whether it's, you know, whatever, but they need no, to that's, do something. No, but that's it, what that's what I mean. I think they don't need to be attracted to a certain style in, in terms of we must get a manager who plays like Klopp or like Simeone. They don't need some, they don't necessarily need to worry too much about that. I think what they need to make sure is that the general principles of the manager match the club. Yeah. If you see what I mean. And those things are the things I've just talked about. And then beyond that, they can have a flexibility in terms of, you know, exactly how the manager play. I just don't think Tuchel has any of, I think he's very flexible in terms of how his teams play. And I think he sets them up to match the players he's got, but I don't think he has any of those overarching. I'm not sure he's, I just don't think he's particularly compatible with the way, the way United should be looking to, to build for the future. No, that's fair enough. And I suppose they've had their fingers burnt before with the kind of big name managers, which is why yeah. I'd I'd be hesitant. Like I, I I personally don't think Pochettino would work. And I'd be again, I haven't really watched Ajax, but I'd be kind of reluctant to go, oh yeah, that's a great appointment. A because I I don't know much about the manager, but also he's the kind of big name in Europe at the moment and the kind of popular choice. So for United to just go for him, it feels like another one of, oh, well, we might as well just get him. Whereas yeah, like, it, it feels like, sorry to interrupt, but it feels like the last time United had an appointment that made sense was David Moyes. And I know that didn't work out well, but it was still like, oh, okay, I can see at least that, like where what they're trying to do with that. Van Gaal was kind of like, so like left field. Then Mourinho was like, Really? And it all kind of then it became a bit of a circus. And Ollie was kind of like, oh, well, he's just a, a past player and that's the done thing to do now. And it feels like they're lurching from one kind of disaster to the next with managerial. Yeah, I, they, and the facts definitely, that is what has happened. They have lurched from disaster to disaster. Um, but I feel like that narrative of lurching from one to the other is kind of based on the context that hasn't gone well, I think. They sort of if taken that approach. They've they've sort of tried different types of manager, and none of them have worked. So it's sort of they're damned, whatever they sort of do. In that they've gone for sort of the left field choice in Van Gaal. They've gone for someone that made sense at the time in Moyes. They've gone for the big name Mourinho. It's sort of it doesn't really leave them anywhere to go, does it? They've sort of tried all the managers. If you see it, what I mean, it does so because like yeah, Van Gaal was a left field choice, but that was more in terms of style of play, not in terms of he was a very famous manager still, and it was still a huge name. Mourinho was a huge name. They've all they, they seem to just go for it's all it, it, and it, this probably isn't the case, but it feels like the media decide who should be the Man United manager, and they kind of go, oh well, we'll 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 be in for them then because that was like Mourinho was talked about for weeks before he actually got the job. Yeah, but he was sort of high-profile manager who was available. Um, Van Gaal was a big name, but he hadn't worked at the top end of European football for a while, so nobody in the media was sort of championing that particularly. Um, I think, don't get me wrong, I think in the past, you've had Ed Woodward making the decisions, and he's not a, he's a banker, he's not a football fan, so... You know, he was not making, well, he didn't make any sound decisions and he wasn't making them from an informed point of view. I think the people that picked this manager by and large 
will be at least football people. So they've got to pick someone. I don't, I feel like if they, I, I agree that Pochettino would be my first choice, but I feel with like with, with Ten Hag, they're in a catch-22 situation in that if they don't pick him and he goes somewhere and he's a success, then everybody will fit. Like, with the benefit of hindsight, they'll say, oh, should have picked him. If they do take a chance on him and he's rubbish, people will say, oh, well, he was only at Ajax. So why did they pick him? It's sort of, they've got to pick someone. So Yeah, no, I get that. But that's kind of, like, that's, that's sort of what I'm trying to say is that in the past, United wouldn't have, like, they don't, they're not really interested in whatever anyone else is talking and kind of damned if we do, damned if we don't. They go for the right man for them. Yeah, but I, I don't. That won't. I don't think that mm. thinking will factor into who they get. But what I'm saying is that it's easy to sort of fit that narrative into this situation because they have to pick someone. So I don't think Ten Hag is a bad choice. He's by the seams of it, like he's got those. He's generally compatible with the club. I think he would need a better off-field structure around him, like he's got Ajax to to make a success of it, but they have to choose someone. And I feel like there's a certain set, certain element of whoever they choose. The negativity at the moment from everyone is just, it'll be the wrong choice no matter who they pick. I feel if, you know, if Tottenham or Real Madrid or, you know, someone else was linked with Ten Hag, people would be, oh yeah, that's a good appointment. He's done this. He's done this. He's one of the up and coming managers. Whereas because it's United, it's sort of a case of, oh, don't know why they're doing that. And they have they have got a lot of decisions wrong, but as I say, they've kind of they have to pick someone. There's no obvious world class manager available to pick, so they've kind of there's no easy choice. Whoever they pick at the start, there's going to be some reservations about them. Yeah, I get that, and there's going to be pressure. But rather than just going for someone because they're in Europe, like United are a huge, they must have a huge scouting network. There must be a manager working somewhere that makes them think yes whether they have the profile or not Alex Ferguson didn't have a huge profile before going to United no but he was quite he was more of an obvious choice where again he you know if there was the Scottish League at that time was a lot more competitive it was probably more similar to to Klopp in terms of you know taking an underdog club and and toppling the the dominance of the the well established and and competing in Europe and winning in Europe that was more sort of the probably the stature of Scottish football at the time it's probably more of a Klopp appointment than a than an unknown obviously now if you had you know well Gerard for Rangers beat Celtic but Scottish football shit so nobody really took him seriously for any top jobs did they whereas if he'd if he'd done it in Germany or something, then people would link him with with every job. So I think that's a little bit different. I think that was more of an obvious appointment. But I feel if United did pick someone completely left field, you know, the sporting manager's done quite a good job, for example. If they picked him, then, you know, I wouldn't have a particular problem with that. But again, we'd just be sat here and the question would be, well, he's, you know, he's never managed a club like United, he's never worked in the Premier League. He's an unknown. So I feel, I feel like whoever they pick, the conversations we're going to be having is going to be 
mm. oh, are they going to be any good? I just don't think there's a particularly obvious choice. And that won't impact their decision-making, but it will obviously, the discussion and the narrative around it will be sort of, will reflect that. I completely agree with that. But I think I, 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 my biggest issue with whoever they appoint is that there isn't this, this obvious choice. And I know I'm not talking about pressure. I'm not talking about the media kind of going, oh, is he going to be good or not? It's from an outsider, there is no kind of what do you do with that team? Like what 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 sort of style of football? Yeah, but that's, why, they, that's why that's why I think the they need to take in that a, dressing yeah, room. Is Ronaldo going to be there? Is is Maguire going to be a captain? You know, there's so there's so many questions where you think that's I, that's yeah, there are, but I think that's why they need you know a relatively I would say a young uh, you know a younger ma- a manager whose best work is ahead of them essentially yeah. um, going forward who's got the you know, the general principles that they want in a manager that I talked about before. And you then let them make those decisions and rebuild the team. That's exactly why you don't, I think, go for a Conte who can probably work with the squad they've got now and won't, you know, necessarily need to tear it up and and start again. They can work with Ronaldo up front and Maguire at the back. They'll they'll just make the best of what they've got and they'll probably maximise the potential of those groups of players and they'll get them to be a half decent team I think what United need is a manager who's going to come in with a vision of what they want the team to be select those players from the squad that can fit that get rid of the ones that won't and build something cohesive with a clear idea going forward and that clear idea again needs to match the philosophy of the club and that's a general point it doesn't need to be the manager has to play a pressing style or they have to play counter-attack or whatever. It just means there's some general ideas of what they want from a manager to shape the sort of future of the club going forward. Okay, so the new manager comes in, whoever it is. What do you think his top three priorities should be in terms of on-the-pitch stuff? Not not talking about like redeveloping the ground or getting rid of Edward or any, any of that. Just purely on the pitch, the team, squad, what what are the priorities? Well, it's a, diff- it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because in terms of the, the players, a manager always has their own view. It depends what it really does depend what they what they want from from the team. If they if they no, but I'm asking you example, what you want it, as a fan. What what what, what I want from your kind of ideal scenario in terms of the playing staff. Presumably you'd get rid of some of them. You'd oh, yeah, yeah, some of them would go, definitely. Um but <laughs> I think the problem is individually a lot of them are very good players or decent players. Yeah. I just don't think they make a very good team. So it's sort of there's a few of them I don't like at all in terms of not necessarily some of them as players I don't like, some of them the way they come across, I don't like them. Um who are they? So it's sort of <laughs> <laughs> I don't like I don't like Luke Shaw particularly. Um I don't really like Dallow or Wambasaka for different reasons. Um I don't but that's all your fallbacks gone. <laughs> yeah, no, I know that's all the fallbacks. Um, <laughs> I don't think Maguire is good enough. I think that's a problem. And I think the way the team plays exposes that. 
I also think, you know, for example, De Gea has been individually one of United's best players this season. Yeah. But I have my doubts as to whether he is the best goalkeeper for United as a team. He will stop more goals than Henderson in terms of he's a better shot stopper. But I think United would be a more progressive team if they had a more proactive goalkeeper in goal. So, yeah. you know, that sounds okay. ridiculous because De Gea has been you know, one of United's best players this season. But I feel the way he, this, his style of play doesn't necessarily fit the way United have been trying to play this season. So that's an example of the player doesn't actually fit how the club wants to, to play. The ma- Whoever comes in as a manager has to be, along with the structure around them, the footballing structure off the field, has to have the, the power to implement that vision. If that means getting rid of some players that, you know, you think, oh, that's a surprise. They have to back the manager in that situation. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's difficult to sort of say how you want the summer to look because if United, so let's, I think Ten Hag seems to be the manager they want. And I think a lot of the media follows that in that they know that's the, so that's the one they talk about because they know that's the one they want. If he comes in, I'm absolutely fine if he gets rid of a lot of the older players in the squad. I don't have any builds a younger team. That would be fine with me. If at the other end of the spectrum, Thomas Tuchel or Conte comes in, then I'd be happy if he kept a lot of those same players because it's going to be a completely different way of trying to win. So it's kind of, it's really difficult to sort of say how the summer's going to look particularly. And not, not least of all, because a lot of, with United for the past 10 years, it's been the off-field stuff that's that's more frustrating as a fan because I feel that what happens on the pitch is they haven't got hope in hell, really, of being successful because of what goes on above them and the way the whole club has been geared for the last 10 years in terms of commercial success over is is the is the goal. And yeah. On pitch Rather success than, you know, is sort of... Yeah, it's a set like they'd like it, but they're not actually fussed as long as they can keep the commercial success going. So yeah, well, it's being run as a business and a franchise rather than yeah, a, a football. Uh, team. So I guess yeah, as a as a fan this summer, what I would be most pleased with is if they get an exciting younger manager, whoever that is, and they make some good footballing hires off the pitch to create that sort of structure, a bit like more a more modern structure. Because I think a lot of United's problems have been that that transition from Ferguson is that one man had was a genius and could do all of these jobs that now in a modern day club are done by ten people. Yeah, and United have, have tried to give that job to Moyes and Van Gaal, and they couldn't do it. And those people that have stepped in to do those jobs are not football people; they're they're investment bankers. And yeah. so United's decision-making has been shit for 10 years. So as a fan, I'd be happy if, you know, if Ranić got a job, his consultancy role was more hands-on and he was in charge of sort of directing the club, steering the club from sort of that complete overview sort of approach. And if they hired some some people for football roles to help so if you sure if you make the right decisions, for example, if you, if it were to be um, Ten Hag, would you want would you try and be nabbing Van der Sar as well from Ajax? 
well, yeah, I think that would be he's proven that he's a good footballing CEO. And I think yeah. I, I don't understand why, you know, United have got a, C, a, a CEO, if you like. They've obviously got their owners and they entrust the day-to-day running of the club to, to the CEO, whatever, who was Ed Woodward, it's now Richard Arnold. I don't understand why they don't focus on the commercial side because that is what they're obviously very good at. Yep. And then hire someone under them like Van der Sar to have a very similar level of control and authority, but only relating to the football side. I really don't understand why they haven't, haven't done that because they'd retain control of everything. They'd be the ultimate boss, but they would be delegating something they're not very good at to someone who is, uh, I hate the term in terms of football because it's a business term, but a best in class yeah. operator. I, I don't get why they don't do that, but yeah, that would be, that would be great. That would be ideal. Well, it's interesting then, because like, for the last, as you said, for the last 10 years at United, all of the noise in terms of summer moves have been about who's coming in on the pitch. So it'd be interesting to see whether this summer they do go for more, more of a let's improve the club as a whole before we even think about, you know, the pitch. I mean, apart, apart from anything else, I think a good summer for United would be, as you say, getting those people in and getting people like Jesse Lingard, Paul Pogba out of the club. Yeah. You know, and, and they are decent players, both of them. Paul Pogba on his day is, there's an argument for him being one of the best midfielders on the planet, but his day is too rare and he obviously doesn't give a shit about United and he doesn't give a shit about the fans. And I think that for, that for me is what, what would be unforgivable. When I, you know, if I've, it's very rare but if I've if I see a player who's playing for Liverpool that clearly doesn't want to be there, clearly doesn't give a shit, and it, it's it's only happened a couple of times since Klopp's been there, and they've been gone pretty soon afterwards. Um, I think that would be success for United because I mean, apart from anything else, like it'd be nice to have a third, fourth club kind of in the in the mix, you know, have a proper title race. Could you imagine if United were actually decent and Chelsea were, would de- you know, it'd be the, the level would be unbelievable. I think you'd have those four teams finishing on whatever points and then there'd be a gap of about 30 points because everyone else is so far behind. It would be unbelievable for for the neutral. Well, that, that's what's frustrating is because, you know, obviously City and Liverpool are on a different level, but there's... What's stopping United reaching that level? It's not that United can't reach that level. What is stopping them is their own lack of ambition, essentially. They're not interested particularly in reaching those level on a sporting side, so they haven't done anything to, to, to get to that level. And that's not about buying players. That's what I've mm. spoken about in terms of modernising the club, investing in the right areas. They don't do that because they're, not, they're just not interested. So... Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's I think there's the most obvious comparison as well is that the, the City and Liverpool do have two very special managers, and I think that's what we're talking oh, yeah. about with with United kind of unearthing that is that it all starts from what's going on behind the scenes is getting that right manager because it doesn't have to necessarily be, you know, on paper Ancelotti would be like a perfect fit, but we know we would know that he's not a fit for United. Klopp was a fit for Liverpool. Guardiola was a fit for City. 
and it's finding whoever that manager is and then giving them the support and the resources to unearth a Mohamed Salah, who's, you know, someone who's not, not necessarily like the best in Europe, but a decent player come in and turn him into the best in Europe and doing, and, and doing more of that, you know, Guardiola, I mean, I know he gets a lot of stick for, spe- for spending a lot of money and he does, but he turns players into, I mean, Bernardo Silva, they signed him for what, 40 million. He's now a 200 million pound player at times, you know, so it's, it's getting, it's, it's creating the conditions for success, isn't it? And I think that's what United have been lacking so much. It's what Arsenal are lacking still. Spurs, like, I know they're not on the same level, but it, it's not, it's no, I, I agree, but I think that's that's kind of the point I made. There's nothing, there's no reason why United shouldn't be able to do that. No, I think no matter how, not. no matter how well run on a sporting side, Tottenham are, Leicester are, Arsenal are. There's a barrier to them getting that far. They're not going to be at the very top because their success has to rely on other teams around them not fulfilling their potential. Whereas I think if United maximise their potential as a club, then they'll be able to challenge anybody in, you know, there's no there's no club in, in the modern day in Europe who are able to, you know, United are as big a club as anybody. If they get their act together, then they can compete with anyone, is essentially what I'm trying to say. Yeah. The smaller clubs, even if they're really well run, there's sort of a ceiling in modern football because of money. And things as to how high they can actually go. Yeah, and how long it can be sustainable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I think we should we should leave it on a point of agreement. <laughs> For once. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I think I, I was expecting when we first started this podcast, I was expecting it to be kind of like it was at uni, where we'd both be, yeah. I mean, mainly drunk a lot of the time. But having arguments <laughs> until about four in the morning about the most <laughs> random shit, whether it was, you know, Brexit trade agreements, which none of us knew anything about, but we were both <laughs> determined that we were right. That's because you watched daily politics for a little while. We did. We did. And we were experts on, on we it We were all. experts. <laughs> I just remember there being a pre-drinks once and... Um, we had a, a load of people round ours and Lawrence and I got into a debate about something and everyone left. <laughs> everyone left the room. I vaguely remember that as well. Lawrence, Lawrence and I were just there like, oh, I think everyone's got out. Should we? <laughs> <laughs> but yes. Um, yeah, well, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening as always. I did the hello. So that's your turn to do the goodbye. Cool. Goodbye. <laughs>